So we're going we're gonna to talk today, going walking through this series. Those of you who don't know, my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the interim teaching pastor here at Moody Church. And we're, we've been walking through this series about God's road to financial freedom. Pastor Bill did a great job last week uh, covering some of our, our content this, uh, in, through the series. And I'm just going to continue uh, that conversation here. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, take it out and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. One of the things you're going to see very early on is that this verse specifically is written for the rich. So you're going to see right at the beginning it says, to the rich. And so we don't like the rich sometimes too much today. A lot of people think the rich are bad and they're probably up to something illegitimate. They're, they're not maybe paying their fair share, whatever it may be. Uh, and, then, uh, and then when you ask somebody, you say, are you rich? And people will, I hardly know anybody who says yes. Most people will say they're, they're not. But, but, uh, but there are kind of a few things uh, to remember, right? And kind of remember, so Bill talked about this last week. I talked about it the week before. Uh, but let's take a look at this. For example, Luke 12, verse 15 says, and he said to them, take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And we hear verses like this, and we're like, yeah, this is rich people. Rich people need to hear this. And, and what you may not realize, though, is that that also might relate to you. And we're going to look at that today because we, we the rich, are given special instructions to set our hope on God, to be rich in good works and giving, and, and really to live a real life. And we're going to look at that, right? Jesus actually equates here, Jesus equates here, your for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus equates our life, a real life, not being connected to what we have, but with actually something bigger than what we have. And elsewhere, Jesus equates your treasure with your loyalty, and he tells you to watch out for greed. And, and, and again, we see this, we, we called this a couple weeks ago, is that greed is actually idolatry. So greed is actually idolatry. It's an idol is putting something before God, making it a higher priority, putting it in God's place. Now, as a matter of fact, I would say to you, show me your money and where it is, and I'll show you what matters to you, even if we have a little or if we have a lot. So then Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives some instruction for uh, Timothy to how to basically deal with the rich. Now let's take a look at what he says. He says this, beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age. Now, before you sort of tune out that good thing we're talking about rich people because we never liked them anyway, I want, you to, I want you to pause for just a moment, and I want you to see that this might relate to you. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Don't miss that line. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, because you can't take it with you, but it appears you can send it on ahead so that they may take hold of that which is true life, or a real, a real life. Now we look at this passage, and, and, and it's a reminder to us that kind of a caution, we've been looking at signs on God's road to financial freedom, and a caution sign is appropriate here, that we want to be cautious and careful when it comes to the issues of greed. Greed is actually one of the most frequently mentioned sins in the Bible. And, uh, but nobody really thinks they're rich, and nobody tends to think that they're greedy. But the caution is clear, right? The rich have to be cautious about greed and instead focus on what's more important to live a, a real life. Now, I've walked through this outline. It's four points to the outline. The outline to make a sentence. It's pretty simple. It's we the rich, it starts, 
are given special instructions to set our hope on God, to be rich in works and giving, to live a real life. You see, why is that? Well, one of the things we're going to see is, is giving is actually kryptonite to greed. Giving is kryptonite to greed. Now, not all of you would recognize the reference to kryptonite, which is one of the great tragedies of our modern day. But kryptonite is that which, the only thing that could defeat Superman. Well, uh, a lot of things it's hard to sometimes defeat greed, but giving is kryptonite to greed. So we're going to look at four things today. You can have no cheats. You can follow along with me to the degree you're so inclined. And, and again, we, we the rich are given special instructions. We're going to start there, right? So number one on our outline, we the rich are given special instructions, right? Right at the beginning it says, to those who are rich, right? So it lays out before us. It specifically speaks to us. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. Now, charge them doesn't mean like, like give, hey, this is your bill, um, means instruct them or teach them. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them or teach them this. Now, notice it says those who are rich in this present age. Now, of course, that was written about 2,000 years ago. Uh, but don't miss this. You can actually be rich in this age and quite poor in the next. And a, a person who's poor in this age can be quite rich in the next. Rich also is a, is a matter of perspective. Very few people actually think that they are rich, and, but there are a lot of rich people right here in our gathering and worshiping with us online. A lot of rich people that live in this city and more, right? And, and again, sometimes we resent the rich, so we don't want to be the rich, but you know, they don't pay their fair share, they earned it illegitimately or something. So let's talk, about, let's talk about the rich behind their back today. Let's gossip about them. Can we do that for just a little bit? I want to invite you into my gossip. Let's do this. Some people are so rich that they make money up to a certain age by work, right? Then they have so much money, they're so rich, they have so much money saved up that they actually stop working at a certain age. It's true. And they buy lawn furniture and go sit on their patio in the summer times, and they don't work anymore. They even have a name for this bizarre rich person's activity, it's called retirement. Have you heard of that? How rich do you have to be that you get to stop working because you got so much money saved up somewhere you can stop working? Some people, right, some people have so much money, they're so rich that they have some left over when they die. And they have to work with specialists and write pieces of paper that actually tell what to do with all the money they have left over. Some, some people have even like hundreds or thousands of dollars left over, some more, but they have, they're so rich that they have to write it in something called a will to give it to their kids so their kids can fight over it. That's how rich they are. Some people have so much money, they actually own their own place where they live. Now, not everybody has this, right? But it's true. Some people actually have places that they own or pay a monthly fee to live in all by themselves. One family per each of these things. They're called either sometimes houses, sometimes apartments, sometimes condos. And, and often one family gets it all to themselves. That's some rich people. That's really rich people. It wasn't like that and when Paul wrote this to Timothy at all. I mean, these are some rich rich people. And, and they have so much, uh, they have so much um, a house, but then a lot of them have this like land and they're so rich, they don't have to grow food on it. 
I mean, can you imagine living a time where you had land you didn't have to grow food on because you, you had people giving you money from something else? You go to a, a thing called a store, and so they, they're so rich, not only do they not grow food on it, but they just have this extra space, and so they, they plant like this green stuff on it, right? And it's not, it's not for food, right? And then they actually, they, they'll actually water it and fertilize it and mow it and curse it, and they do all these things. And they work at it every week in the summer just for fun. That's how rich some people are. I mean, that's crazy rich. You know, you know some people have, as mentioned, only one family lives in their house. Right? We have only one family lives in our house. But there are some people who have so much money that they have an extra room in their house, right? And it just sits there empty. It has a bed in it. It has a lamp in it. And they're waiting for somebody named Guest to come over. It's actually called their room. And, the, and guests never comes, but they have this room for this person. I mean, how rich would you have to be just have a room sitting empty for that? Um, some people don't walk places with the legs God gave them. Instead, they have these large mechanical devices with lights and heat, and some of them play music. And they, and they like these things so much that they sort of drive around town in them. And they seem to love them so much, they actually, some people actually build houses for their cars called garages. Most people around the world in history didn't even have a place as nice as the garage as some of the rich people that we know. Some people, I mean, rich people are crazy. I mean, some people, they take time off of work. They have so much money that, that where they work lets them take time off, and they, and they go, they, they, they float on water in these things called boats or sit in trees with, with maybe guns, in there, and they, they do this something called hunting and fishing. And it's just for fun, because not for food, but for fun. And then they actually, when they kill something, they don't, they don't eat it in some cases. Some people actually put it on the wall. They have so much money. How much money do you have to have for that? Some people have so much money, they actually quit working for a couple weeks a year just to have fun. They usually don't have fun because it's stressful to figure out what to do, and you're not used to being around each other, but they... They plan it out, and then they, they have to put their stuff. they got so much stuff, they put it in boxes, and then they, they put their boxes, and they, they have wheels on their boxes now. Some people call them suitcases, and they, and they take their boxes, and they put them in their, those cool little mechanical devices that go around places, and then, they, and then they drive somewhere, and then they go into this thing, and it's like a whole other house, and somebody comes in and cleans up after them every day. Something they call, I've heard it called a hotel. Some people are so rich that they go to vacations in hotels. You know, some people are so rich. They have more computing power in their pocket than NASA had during the moon landing. I mean, how rich do you got to be for that? So, who am I talking about here? I'm talking about us. Now, are there exceptions? Sure. One of the things I love about Moody Church is we have people who are poor, we have people who are rich, and we have people everywhere in the middle. But what I want to say to you is for the vast, vast majority of you in this room, this verse is actually about you, and it's actually about me. When we look around the world today, almost everybody here would be in the top 5%, most in the top 1% of world income, even those of us who are financially struggling. So rich is a, is a matter of perspective. So why then does Paul write to Timothy and sort of call out the rich? Well, uh, and maybe because it's hard for us to acknowledge that there might be when we have more things, our stuff can distract us from our, from our Savior. The average household income in the United States is actually $59,000 a year. That is an amazing amount of money, not just 2,000 years ago, but for most of the world, it's a stunning. If we're half that, if we're a quarter of that, 
That's an amazing amount of money. Now, I want you to, I want you to, this is hard because it actually says, it says instruct or charge the rich. And so I don't want to waste my message until you're willing to acknowledge that you're the people that I'm supposed to talk to. So I want you to actually say the words, three, to, three words out loud with me. It's real simple. It's I am rich. Would you, I, know it's, I know it's hard. I know it feels like a Tony Robbins commercial. I know it feels like a prosperity gospel message. It's actually not. I'm not saying by saying this, you're suddenly going to attract to yourself more money and by, by Thursday, you're going to be driving around in a Hummer with fog lamps. That's actually not what I mean. But I want you to acknowledge this is about you. Ready? Three words. Are you ready? So here we go. Ready to say it together. I am rich. Let's do it again. I am rich. And if you're just joining us online and this is the only thing you heard thus far, please listen to the rest of the message before you send me letters and cheese it boxes. So again, the question would be, teach us the rich. I mean, Paul writes to Timothy, teach the rich. So yes, I will. It's not positive thinking. I'm not trying to, trying to attract some wealth to you by doing so. But this verse is talking about you. Hence point one, we, the rich, are given special instructions. So let's dive into the special instructions that we are given since we are the rich that Paul talks about. Most of us, not all of us, are the rich that Paul talks about here in, uh, in 1 Timothy. Let's take a look. Uh, number two on our outline, number two on our outline, is we, the rich, are given special instructions. That's number one. Number two, to set your hope in God. Now, again, because we have so much, we can sometimes be distracted by our possessions. Our stuff distracts us from the Savior. So it tells us to not be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't miss that, by the way. God has actually given you stuff to enjoy. God has given you stuff to enjoy. If you have things, thank God for having those things. Don't necessarily have to live a life of guilt because of those things. The problem is not where you put your stuff, it's where you put your hope. And it says not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is where how idolatry becomes greed and how it becomes evident, right? So the teaching is very clear. So we're, the idolatry of greed is, and the antidote of that is actually through giving. The antidote to greed is giving. It says this in Colossians 3.5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, the ESV translates that covetousness, and most translations translate it greed, but greed literally is making an idol. So greed, accumulation, um, worrying about this all the time, we, we create idols. John Calvin once said, our hearts are idol factories. And so one of the factories we create when we're the rich, when we start having things like uh, smartphones and we start having things like, like uh, possessions and more, they can become idols with us. And keeping up with the Joneses can become an idol. So you have to set your hope on something, your savior or your stuff. But that's why it's idolatry, right? Remember the words of Matthew chapter 6, 24. It says this. It says, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. So there's a very clear contrast, right? You can't do both. So too many people worship the God of stuff. They bow down and make sacrifices. They want more. They'll sacrifice their family time. They'll sacrifice their spouse's relationship. They'll sacrifice their kids. And eventually just keep throwing these things on the altar of their new idol, which is greed. Remember, remember, um, remember Jacqueline a couple of weeks ago, I gave the example of Jacqueline, right? And so 
Uh, and she had the Cheez-It boxes, right? She had these two Cheez-It boxes, and she was just holding them so tight, and she's like, she's like, no, my Cheez-Its, my Cheez-Its. This was her. And that's the way a lot of people are, right? They, they find their possessions, right? But we teach our kids something else, right? We teach our kids to tithe. We teach our kids to, to give. You know why? Because you can't do this. You have the hands gripped to, to hold the possessions when you're actually giving to others. The giving itself changes your posture towards your possessions. And, and that's why giving is like, is like kryptonite to greed, because I, I, this is greed. I got to have, I got to have that, right? And Jacqueline failed to understand that I, her father, was the provider, and I could provide, and I could provide everything that ultimately she, she needed because, because I, I, was, I was a father that loved her and could provide for her needs. And so, so the gripping that we hold to these things, we hold on to these things, the, the antidote is actually to, to let go. When we become focused on our stuff, we want to grip it tightly, and eventually the idol of it takes over. And soon, all you can think of is like Jacqueline did, or I was illustrating, i got to hold on to this. So how do you have a different approach? How do you create a a different way. Well, giving is part of that. Now, the Bible, I teach, we've taught our kids to tithe. We've consistently tithed for, for many, many years. And, but when we tithe, we have to remember that God owns all of our stuff. But what happens is we have to recognize that there's parts of our stuff. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? Um, so this is what God owns, right? God owns all of this. Right? So I don't hold this like this. God owns all of this. But in the biblical teaching about giving, one of the things that we find is God calls us to consistently be giving in generous people. So to do something that's a little less threatening. Right? I could have, I could have taken out, I actually have here, I have, a, I, have a, uh, I have a dollar bill. I could have given that example. And I was going to go through some of the things listed on the dollar bill, but there's some really creepy, creepy things on the dollar bill you don't need to know about. I brought a 20 just because it doesn't get to church a lot, and I wanted to see what it looks like. Um, but you take here, and so here's 100% of what I, what I own. Now, I own is the way I sometimes see it. But if I start by saying, you know, God owns all of this, and then, and, and then I want to practice the practice of giving. And so what, what, I, what, I, what I do is I, I might give 10%. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to forget, right? So God owns all of it. So why am I tithing? That's what that's called is giving 10%. So why am I tithing? Well, I think there's, God seems to have a pattern that he wants to remind us that everything is his by having us setting aside a portion. Let me give you an example. The week is an example, right? There are seven days in the week, six days you'll work, one day is set aside for me, God says, right? So, so why does God do that? To remind us that we are his and we are his people. So let's say God owns 100%, and he does. If we yield to him, God owns 100%. So why then is it that, that we see people might say, um, I feel called to give a tithe? Why is that? Is, is that now, we, I started doing that when, when Don and I were very young. We were newly married. Um, we, I was making $100 a week at, uh, at the church as a youth pastor. Uh, Donna was working at Duffy's Deli making $75 a week, and we, we, we gave $17.50 each week because we wanted to, to be faithful with that. And that didn't seem like a lot of money. And then when we got a little older, we made a little more money. It seemed like a lot of money. But, but here's the thing. People say, well, why, why 10%? Well, first of all, there's a, it kind of predates the law in the Old Testament. There's a pattern that's ultimately there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, every, that this is what you have to do or the approach you need to take, but I do think it's helpful. Let me explain why. And it's helpful to give that and consistently through your local church, but here's why I think that's the case. People say, well, 10%, you, you hardly notice 10%. Everyone says you hardly notice 10% is either not giving 10% or is giving it so long that they've forgotten it. 
But I actually find that by giving a tithe, I notice and I am reminded. I, I can feel the difference. I can tell that I have a little bit less because I'm giving, and it's a reminder that God owns it all. Now, again, it's actually theologically not correct to say, well, God owns this and I own the rest. It's theologically correct to say God owns all of this. God calls me to set aside a portion of that, and people might do differently. Maybe sometimes you get to the place where, where you actually give more than this or, or, uh, or, or whatever else it may be. And so we, I, I actually know some, some, uh, a, biz, a business leader from, uh, set out an idea that, that he was going to give away 90% and, and live off of 10%. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to do, but I do know when we look to the scriptures and that tithe is frequently mentioned, it becomes a place where actually we can show our own greed that we're setting aside things. This, this is kryptonite to greed. Not just tithing, but giving in general is kryptonite to greed. And what happens is I can try to grip those things tightly or instead I can let them go and open my hands. It also gives me the opportunity to receive. Actually gives me the opportunity to receive. And many of the commands in the Bible are actually built around the idea that as we, as we sow, we reap. As we give, we are blessed. And, and what happens is, is that instead we, we change and we want to hold on so tightly. Why? I mean, think about Jacqueline. She was five during that picture. She's, um, she's 15 now. And sometimes I miss those five-year-old days, and, 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 but I love the 15-year-old days. And, and you know what? She doesn't act that way anymore. She doesn't uh, hold on to the cheese it saying, mine, mine, because she kind of grew up and knew that her father could provide more Cheez-Its. But I know a lot of Christians who are still acting as if their father can't provide and they're gripping things so closely and they keep putting off being a consistent proportional giver or a percentage giver. They're putting off being a tither and like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I got to hold on tightly. And what I want to say to you who are rich is that stop putting off what God has put in your heart. Stop putting off what God has put in your heart. That may break the bonds of idolatry for you. The, now, your greed monster is probably different than Cheez-Its. Maybe it's a new car, a new house, a new stereo, but... It can and does take over, and you can become a slave to your, your stuff. So I want you not to miss this. You don't need to give because Moody Church needs you to give. I mean, sure, that's true too. But you don't need to give because Moody Church needs you to give. You need to give because it kills the greed in your life. And when you begin to give that way, when you begin to say, I'm going to be a part of what it means to be a proportional giver, to prioritize accordingly, what happens is it begins to change how you see your stuff and how you follow your Savior. See, we the rich are given special instructions, right? Number two, to set your hope on God, but it doesn't end there. Let's go to number three. And to be rich, and to be rich in works and giving. It says this, back to the rich, it says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, right? And, 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 and thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, right? So don't miss it. It appears that you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Now, I was actually a uh, pastor years ago in Erie, Pennsylvania, and we eventually acquired a church building that was actually right across the street, across Staratania Road, Route 832, uh, from a uh, cemetery, which I will tell you, it was never my dream to actually constantly be right across the street from a cemetery. That doesn't usually end well. Um, but one of the things I noticed is, you know, people drive up and down that road, uh, Staratania Road, all day long and all day night, but they're zipping by, zipping by, so you never notice. My window was right there, and you never notice cars blurring when they go by, because they go by quickly. 
But you do notice when something's different, and I noticed every time a funeral procession went in there. I have seen probably hundreds of funeral professions go slow in front of my office window, turn into the entrance that was unlocked. It wasn't normally unlocked. Go into the entrance and funeral upon funeral. And I, so I'm an expert at observing funerals. And I will tell you that after four years of observing funerals, I have never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It, it just doesn't happen. Matter of fact, I've, as a pastor, I've sat next to people who were sick and dying, and I've never heard them say, I wish I spent more time at the office and I wish I made more money. What happens is, is it changes their perspective. And, and here, the rich, we the rich, are instructed to be rich in works and giving. We are called to enjoy and employ what we have. Now, why does that matter? It's fine. Listen, it's fine to be rich as long as we are rich in good deeds and giving. The Bible does not say here, nor specifically elsewhere on a broad application, that we should sell everything and give it all away. But we have to learn to develop an open hand so proportionally and continuously and generously we've learned to give it all away. Giving is kryptonite to greed. Now again, it says storing up a foundation for themselves for an age to come, it says, right? That's where a good foundation for the future is what Paul writes to Timothy. But it's also found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, do not lay up for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. So I love that we just heard stories from the Cook County Jail and prison ministry and jail ministry that takes place there that our giving helps to support. And so there's probably a time and a place where I didn't buy that new electronic device that I wanted, but my giving helped somebody become a chaplain inside of a jail to both the staff and to, and to the incarcerated people there. Now, why does that matter? Again, it's a question of how we live. So just, I was at dinner, um, I think it was last, no, night before last, Friday night. I was at dinner Friday night with uh, some of the alumni association at our school. I'm a professor at Wheaton College for my full-time job. And, and so they asked me to go meet with the alumni association. So I sat there and I, I sat across the table from, uh, from a woman and, uh, and, and, I, and I, we just were talking and I actually had a quote from Jim Elliott uh, Jim Elliott in my message today. And so I, I, we were just got into a conversation. She said, well, I'm actually the daughter of one of the widows that were killed on that beach in Ecuador. And, and what happened was, is one of them came uh, back, one of, the, one of the wives, one of the widows remarried, and she was one of the children of that, that, that woman. And, and, I, and I will tell you, I was just stunned by this, because here I'm going to share this, this quote, but, but, but again, just to see how God used, she began to share the story with me about how God used this tragedy and this difficulty when these missionaries were killed on the, on the shore and on the beach, Jim Elliott and others. And here's what, here's what Jim Elliott said that reminds us here about finances even. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So if you gave something that ultimately helped support what we heard moments ago about how we're engaging in prison ministry and jail ministry, can I just tell you something? You are not a fool to give away what you cannot keep so that we could obtain what we cannot lose. Lives are being changed by our giving. You can't take it with you, 
but you can send it on ahead. Now Luke 12, 15 puts it this way. It says, and he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, right? So all the way back to the cheese, it's Jacqueline held on because she thought she had to, because, because there was going to be none left. Can I just tell you, God owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He's got you. And it had to get to the place where, you know, my kids would eventually get to the place where they would acknowledge that I could provide for them. And Now, I also grew up in a place where that wasn't always the case and grew up in hard times and good times, but how do we... How do we develop an open hand? Well, some of it is we, we learn to give to God first, right? Um, the way we do it in our home is we give the first fruits. We, we tithe and give above the tithe. I actually recognize that by telling you this, I'm actually losing the reward. But I want you to also be encouraged and challenged to consider this yourself. We tithe and um, give above that as our first fruits giving. And, and, and why? Because, because it's a reminder that ultimately God has a design to break the greed in my life. And I'm like you, I'm among the rich. We, the rich, are instructed here to live differently. Also, I, I want to remember the poor, and I want to remember missions, and I, re- I want to remember the hurting. And so I, I have the opportunity, because I seek to live below my means, to bless others. And I, I want to set aside a percentage, and so I set aside a percentage. And maybe that's a start place, starting place for you. Maybe you might say, you know what, the tithe, maybe I can start at 5% and make that what I do, or 7% or make that what I do, but to begin something. Why? Because God owns everything you own, and you beginning to give a portion back that you can actually tell and feel will pry open the hands that are afraid to give and ultimately are limited in its ability to receive. Now, why? The only way to break that idolatry is to pry open the hands and give it away. Greed is the antidote to giving, which leads to number four in our outline. Remember our outline, we the rich. Well, let's take a look at it, right? Here it is. We the rich are given special instructions to set your hope on God and to be rich in works and giving to live a a real life. Can you read the whole thing with me? Let's just read it out loud together. You can do it. We the rich are given special instructions to set your hope on God and be rich in works and giving to live a real life. Now again, I can't teach the Bible faithfully and not talk about money. So some of you don't like that and I get that, but, but God talks a lot in his word about money. And for, for, for some of you, you have sort of put off some of these realities. For years you said, I want to begin to be generous and you've put it off. And And the Bible actually teaches about money a lot more than we do at Moody Church. If we actually taught about money as often as the Bible taught about money, you'd hear about it a lot more. But the reason we do teach about it is part of an understanding of how it breaks the cycle of greed in our life. So number four in our outline is to to live a real life. Here's what it says. So the rich will happen so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what's real? Not possessions, right? Uh, Luke 12, 15, again, and it says, he says to them, take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't miss this, right? So a real life, I keep repeating this verse, a real life is not in your stuff, it's in your Savior. So you can live tight-fisted your whole life, or you can change it. Now, it's hard because we live in a world that expects us to do all these things. How many of you remember the Ed Sullivan Show. Raise your hand for just a second. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Bill, you don't remember the Ed Sullivan Show. You know, you're too young to remember the Ed Sullivan Show. So you watched it on like reruns or something if you raise your hand. Um, and I watched it on reruns. But you remember there was this one, I always remember this one Ed Sullivan Show where this guy came out and he had these uh, plates. And he started, t- he took a pole and a plate. Remember this? And he starts spinning the plate. And yeah, some of you remember it. 
And then he gets another one. He starts spinning the plate. And he gets another one. And he starts spinning the plate. And there's three plates spinning. And then there's another one over here. And there's four plates spinning. And the one over there, because you're watching, it's about to fall over and starts to wobble. And then he goes over there just in time and he spins the plate. And then he goes over here just in time and he's got like seven plates and eight plates. He's just going from place to place to place. And he's, he's spinning the plates. And I, I just can't, I remember watching that. And, and you just don't want him to crash down. And some of you, that's what your finances feel like. You're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta pay this credit card, and maybe I can move it over to this credit card, and, and maybe, maybe I can pay this bill, but I can't pay this bill. And, and it doesn't matter where you are, we get to the place because we live above our means. As soon we're we're spinning the plates, we're spinning the place, and then someone comes to us, we're sharing the gospel with them, and, and they come to us and say, Why why you look so friendly? He says, Well, my life is full of peace. And we're spinning the place. Can I just tell you it's a mark of discipleship that actually you would live under your means, you'd be generous in your giving consistently proportional in your giving and not live in a life of frantic financial bondage. And some of us look like the spinning plates guy and that's not how ultimately God called us to live. You see, we the rich are given special instructions to set your hope in God, to be rich in works and giving and to live a real life. That's one of the reasons why we're offering Financial Peace University here at Moody Church, financial peace actually teaches God's way of handling money, presenting biblical, practical steps, get rid of debt, manage your money, spend wisely, and more. So I really want to say to you, I really, this is really important because I can tell you, this has almost wrecked my life on more than one occasion. I grew up uh, without a lot. We were on public assistance at times when I was a kid. My parents got divorced, um, single mom, financially went uh, early on in a commitment uh, my ministry uh, years to commitment to tithing and living below our means but somehow along the way lost that and sit, I still remember sitting down with Donna in the back room of our house saying we, we, we're probably going to have to declare bankruptcy as a pastor because we had lost that proper use of money and then I remember saying, and I actually I remember five years. For five years we said, no, we're going to get out of this debt with God's help and we began a process and we wanted to live a real life, not running around spinning plates how do I get to live a real life? Let's take a look at it, right? It's real simple. Give it all over to God. That's where we started two weeks ago. Give it all over to God. Give a portion back to Him through His church. You can be faithful and begin that today. Give to the poor, the hurting, and the missions. Just, just find ways to, it may not be a lot. It wasn't a lot for us when we were crawling out of debt for five years. Get out of debt. Pastor Bill talked about that so well last week. Get out of debt and move from that debt and then resolve to live a real life with freedom, generosity, and dependence on God. Amen. There are a few of you here who are not the rich. The big issue is not that we don't have enough, it's that we're not stewarding it well. God's road to financial freedom is a road and a path of stewardship. Now listen, I've tried to use examples here, and some of you keep, keep giving me cheese-it boxes. And so let me just say, don't, don't, don't stop. Uh, <laughs> No, no, no. But let me just say that as we close our time together, that God's plan for your finances is not separate from his plan for your life. And you need to submit your finances to the lordship of Christ and break the grip that debt has on your life. And you break the debt, uh, and, the, and the antidote to greed is giving. It's like kryptonite to greed. So we just take just a moment and I want you to think about what it is that God's calling you to do in response to this message. I don't know what it is, but this is God's road to financial freedom. I've exhorted you towards giving. We've talked about debt. We've talked more. Next week we're going to talk about work and how God uses it and its purpose. But I just want you to hear this. My soul thirsts for God. And as I look to my Savior, he reorders how I handle my stuff. And I wonder if that's true for you as well.
I want you to take just a moment and bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, I thank you that in your plan, finances and our financial situation is not a surprise. But for some of us, we're running around like the spinning plates guy on the Ed Sullivan Show, just trying to keep it all together. Father, would you give us your wisdom of how we might take some steps in a different direction? Just the list even I gave, how I might begin by giving it all over to God, give a portion back to him through his church, how I can live below my means so I can have the freedom to, to give to the poor, the hurting, and to missions. Lord, help me to get out of debt. Father, I pray for people throughout our congregation who are in over their heads in debt. They might make the hard choices, lifestyle changes, burning some credit cards, whatever it takes, so they can live a real life with freedom, generosity, and dependence on God. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, can I just ask you to really just weigh how God's calling you to respond today? For some of you, it's you've been talking about and thinking about tithing for a long time. Maybe just this is between you and the Lord. Maybe today you might say, you know what, it's, it's time. Maybe if you're married, you go home and have a chat about it. Maybe right now you're just making a decision regarding it. But that break, I got to tell you, when I look and I see that 10% of my income goes away and more, I feel it and it breaks. It breaks the back of greed. And instead it focuses me on open-handed giving and receiving from the Lord. I don't know what it is. Maybe the Lord's calling you just to begin proportional giving at some level. But whatever it is, can you just take just a moment between you and the Lord? Our soul thirsts for him. May we focus on the Savior and then yield to him our stuff. As you take a moment with your head bowed to pray, Tim and the worship leadership will bring us back in in just a moment. Just you, right now, though, you respond to how God's speaking to your heart. You make what decisions he's laid on your heart about giving this day.